Don't take no mess out the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrabble it. How they win that game today. There's just one thing you can say. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken, the author of the Rose Garden Report newsletter, which you could subscribe to at rosegardenreport.com. Free and paid subscriptions are available. Uh, if you're a paid subscriber to the website, something that I've started doing is subscriber chats on the Substack app because I moved my whole operation over to Substack. So we've been doing like live chats during road games, and those have been a lot of fun. So if that's something that you're interested in doing and you know, engaging with me and with other people who are watching the game on a platform that isn't X or Twitter. Uh, that's been a lot of fun so far. We've done a couple of those. We're going to keep doing them. So that's something to get on board for as well as all the, you know, written Blazers content from my end now that the season is fully underway. The podcast, as always, is a part of the Odyssey family. You can get us on the Odyssey app, which you can, or, you know, or you can get us on Apple, Spotify, Google, all the usual platforms for podcasts youtube make sure you subscribe rate review help us grow the show all that stuff uh we'll get to the guests in a second but obviously a lot of news to run through uh before then i haven't been on in a couple of weeks for you know scheduling reasons and other reasons but uh a whole lot of news a whole lot of stuff happening uh much of it injury related so just kind of going through just everything that's happened in the last uh, couple of weeks or so. Robert Williams III uh, just had right knee surgery today. He got injured in the second Memphis game, the one that they lost last weekend. And it, they, you know, they did some MRIs. They worked through it. I think there was like some thought that they were going to either do a full season-ending surgery for his uh, dislocated patellar tendon and torn ligaments, or... They were going to do like a smaller cleanup procedure that would, you know, have, have them out a little, a little bit less. They decided to go with the season ending version of it, which, you know, it makes sense. Obviously, he's, you know, given the injury history that he's had in his career, you know, in his first five seasons in the league with the Celtics, he's only played 50 or more games uh, two times. So this is something that I think. You know, the Blazers knew that this was a possibility when they traded for him, and I think they wanted... They were, you already were kind of seeing they were being conservative with some of his injury timelines and stuff like that because, you know, he didn't play in that first back-to-back, the Detroit-Toronto uh, back-to-back. He didn't play on the second end of that. So, you know, there's just... there's It's just... It's a lot of... You know, it that, that one's unfortunate. And so Robert Williams is now out for the season... They said today in the release that he is uh, expected to make a full recovery in time for next season. So there's that. Uh, Scoot Henderson is out for two to three weeks with the ankle injury that you know originally was just a sprain, and then there's also a bone bruise now too. So he's going to be out for a little bit, which is unfortunate, both for his development because you obviously want to see the number three overall pick out there, but also just because the Blazers are so thin in other places because Anthony Simons is still out from the thumb injury that he got on opening night. He's going to be out probably till mid-December or so. And then Malcolm Brogdon in the overtime loss in Sacramento last Wednesday exited with a hamstring injury. He missed the game against the Lakers last night. He's been ruled out for the game against the Jazz tomorrow. 
So, you know, they, I don't think that injury is very serious, but uh, hamstring injuries are kind of tricky. So I'll, I wouldn't be surprised if he missed another week or two at the very least, just because, you know, hamstring stuff and soft tissue stuff is always, you know, stuff that you want to be careful with, especially with Brogdon as another guy who his injury history is what it is over his career. So they're going to be pretty shorthanded for a little bit. And with that in mind, they made a couple of other roster moves over the last week or so. Skylar Mays, uh, who was on a two-way contract and has played pretty well as a backup or third-string point guard, just got converted from a two-way to a standard NBA contract, which kind of removes the element of when you're on a two-way, you are limited to 50 games in a season. So now he's just on a standard NBA contract, so that part is not really there anymore, which is helpful because he is going to suddenly have to play a lot. He's been starting at point guard uh, since Brogdon went down, so this this is just, you know, another one of those. And then in order to backfill that two-way spot, they signed another guard, uh, Jamari Bouya, who was, you know, he played five seasons in college at the University of San Francisco and then was on the Miami Heat's G League team, the Sioux Falls Sky Force last year, played you know, he had a 10-day with the Heat at one point. He had a 10-day with the Wizards. He played five total games in the NBA last year. And he got in last night against the uh, Lakers and, you know, pl- played a little bit. He looked he looked all right. He You know, I think they're going to be relying on him a lot just because they're so shorthanded. And then I think the other little piece of, you know, roster move, you know, movement to discuss is Duop Reith, who is one of their three two-way guys, made his NBA debut last night against the Lakers, which, you know, because of the injury to Robert Williams, he's going to probably be relied on a lot more now. And, you know, going along with that, the Rip City remix, 2-0 and as of this recording. They played their first two games in franchise history, both against the South Bay Lakers. They're playing against the Ontario Clippers tonight, and then their home opener is this coming Friday against the South Bay Lakers, and then they play the uh, Ontario Clippers on the Saturday. I will be at that game. I plan on being at remix games often this season as much as I can. But that's kind of what's going on with the Blazers right now since the last time I recorded, so I just wanted to address all that up at the top. And then my guess today, given that tomorrow is a huge in-season tournament matchup, the second group A in-season tournament matchup for both the Blazers and the Utah Jazz, which my friend Sarah Todd covers for the Deseret News and also has her own podcast called Unsalvageables, which I, you know, she's been on this show before about a year ago. I've been on her show before. Sarah's great. You should follow Sarah. She, she does a great job covering the Jazz. We get into a lot of different stuff. We talk about kind of where both teams are at because they're both sort of in similar spots with a lot of young players and a lot of injuries right now and kind of young teams trying to figure out their identity. So we get into some of that. We get into some talk about the in-season tournament. We get into some talk about the G League at the end, which I have kind of ascertained there's a lot of interest in that for my audience so we go in some directions but it's a great conversation and I think you guys are going to enjoy it so let's get to that right now one so Sarah you and I did this about a year ago and I remember that at the time we were talking about how the Blazers and the Jazz were very unexpectedly the top two teams in the Western Conference with the two best vibes in the NBA and then, you know, both of their seasons kind of went sideways after that. 
And yeah. then a, a year later, we're talking about, you know, both of these teams are very much in, you know, rebuild mode. Now the, the uh, Jazz traded away, like, Mike Conley and all their vets at the deadline last year. The Blazers obviously traded Dame this summer and are fully in, in a youth movement. They're two of the three worst teams record-wise right now in the Western Conference, the others being the other being Memphis, who both the Blazers and the Jazz have beaten. But big game tomorrow. Big <laughs> in-season tournament implications. Huge, huge buzz. Huge excitement. Stakes. The stakes could not be higher. <laughs> They literally couldn't for a November game for two yeah. teams that aren't going to be contending at all. Have the Jazz played a home game yet in the tournament? No, this will be their first home game in the tournament. So you haven't seen the Jazz's court yet in person? No, I have not seen it in person. I mean, and I'll say right up front that I like the wacky courts. So uh -huh. I'm looking forward to the purple. It might blind people or like induce epileptic seizures uh, for the people viewing at home. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's the risk you have to take. <laughs> I guess. So people know that it's an in-season tournament game. Is that I don't have the Jazz's court in front of me. Is it, like, a light purple or is it a darker purple or what's the... It's... I mean, it's... I haven't seen it in person yet. Um, the It seems like it's going to be kind of in between. It seems like it's going to be really, really bright. Okay. <laughs> like, really... I, I would put it in the same category as that, you know, that first uh, Indiana Pacers game where we saw their blue court yeah, uh, yeah it would probably be in that category of color <laughs> okay so i i think they i think the courts have been pretty hit and miss so far i was i will fully admit i was not a fan of the blazers one when i saw it in person because they're they've only played one in-season tournament game so far they played memphis at home and so i saw the court in person I thought it was too bright. I just thought it was too much red. But some of the other ones that I've seen on TV, like I actually really like the Celtics one. Yeah. That was like a darker green. I think it works better for darker colors than it does for bright ones. Well, like a purple, I think, could make some sense where if it's like a darker shade of purple and it's not like, like the Blazers one is like this super bright red or the Bulls one is like the right. entire court is red. Like, I'm so I'm real interested to see how that how that looks. I actually like the Suns one that had a purple. That's why that's like what the Jazz's one is. Yeah, I don't think it's actually. I think it's. Um, I guess if you're if you're someone that doesn't like the courts, I would say it's worse than that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I. I don't know. I think I've, I've fully leaned in at this point to all of the wackiness of the in-season tournament. I'm just like, yeah, put, make the courts an insane color. Like, turn everything into a circus show for uh -huh. this whole thing and let's like lean into the fun right why not let's get weird <laughs> i mean this is the this is the this is what you and i have to talk about now at recovering these teams that are rebuilding like, here's the thing this let's... is better to talk about in november than like some of just like the ho-hum like i guess here's the record here's the schedule like at least it's something yeah no this is this is at least and i also are you i'm i'm personally am very like you know as as a beat writer, I am not a fan of the team that I cover. Right, same. I do not root one way or the other for things to happen or not happen. I am very invested in the Blazers making the in-season tournament Final Four in Las Vegas. A hundred percent. Because I, I want to go. I want to go cover it because yeah. one of the U two shows at the Sphere. 
<laughs> is on the off night in between the semifinal right. and the finals. Right. So yeah. that's my that's that's my stakes for this tournament is like get, get me to the sphere. That's that's like the that's like the motto of 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 the in season tournament for me. Yeah, so. and there, I mean that's like a fully like you know inside baseball basketball uh, sort of thing is like I never root for the Jazz to succeed, but like if they're going to play like a playoff opponent in a city that I want to go to, I absolutely am rooting for them to succeed because that's yeah. where I want to go. And like. Do I want to cover the in-season tournament in Vegas? Absolutely, I do. So I would like for the Jazz to win some games so that I can do that. Vegas Otherwise- is also <laughs> Vegas is also a hell of a lot nicer to be in in December than it is in July when we usually go there for That's summer league. I've been always there, and I always tell people like I hate Vegas so much because I'm there for a week every summer uh-huh. in July when it's horrifying. I went there the last two years for the G League Winter Showcase, which is also in December. Right. And I love that event. They're moving it to Orlando this year, so I'm not going anymore because yeah. that's just a way harder flight. Yeah. Far harder flight, not a direct flight and any of that stuff. But uh, but yeah, I mean, this is giving us, like, right now, like, I think both of these teams are kind of dealing with some, you know, they're not very good. The Jazz are, the Jazz are what, three and seven yeah. right now? Not good. Jazz are three and seven. Blazers are three and six. Both of the teams have some injuries to some pretty important players the Blazers just before we got on here announced that Robert Williams officially had his season-ending surgery uh Anthony Simons is out until December I think Scoot Henderson they just announced is out for two to three weeks Malcolm Brogdon has been uh out the last he missed the last game with a hamstring injury I don't think it's serious but he's still out for a couple of games the Jazz are gonna be without Walker Kessler for at least the time frame of these two games between the Blazers and the Jazz that we're talking about coming up and you know that's now they traded all their vets it's like him and Lowry are like the two you know primary guys that you're you know interested in watching on the team how are the vibes right now I mean surprisingly the vibes are very good which is is weird to say considering that they're three and seven and Mm -hmm. Walker Kessler is injured and uh, I think I think the expectations for the team were a little bit higher coming into this season than last season because I mean the, the thought process was like well they tanked last season and you know sat guys like Lowry and Jordan Clarkson and Colin Sexton out to end the season and so and they were right on the cusp of the play in and so mm-hmm. if they're not going to tank this season, then they should be better than that. And uh, it has not been so. It's It's been a lot of like, there's been weird stuff too, because like they were experimenting a little bit and trying to give a chance to the same sort of backcourt that ended last season. So they were kind of gave the opportunity for starting point guard duties to Taylor Horton Tucker. And like to the surprise of no one who has watched him play, that did not work. And uh, finally, uh, in the last couple of games, they've handed the reins over to their rookie point guard, Keontae George. And he is, he's fantastic. Like he has a long career ahead of him and he's so much better as a point guard than anyone thought he would be coming out of Baylor. And so, uh, I, I think that that sort of injection, uh, of him into the starting lineup and kind of the thoughts about what he could become in the future has created some good vibes. Um, and the John Collins, uh, acclimating him to the team was really slow and it didn't look great, but it's starting to look a little bit better. So like, I think it's uh, the hopefulness is making the vibes good right now. And Keontae, I mean, Keontae George is kind of, you know, you're talking about, he has a long career ahead of him, but you know, he's, he's what, 19, 20. He's Cause I he just turned 20. <laughs> okay. 
So it's probably a lot of the same stuff as Scoot right now, where, like, you think he's going to be good long-term, but, you know, it's not happening right now because it's a 19- or 20-year-old kid learning the NBA. Yeah, I think the surprising part for Keontae George is that I think everyone thought, okay, he could be a good piece long-term. It's going to be really rough to start. Mm -hmm. Um, But honestly, he's been, like, one of the bright spots to start. Like, he... I think the last three games he's had 20 assists and two or three turnovers. Uh And for a guy that came out of Baylor with a negative assist to turnover ratio, like that's pretty nice. And that's not just the last three games, like coming off the bench, he showed the same thing. He's been like the, the most consistent like guard on the roster right now. Yeah. And he's, it's, and it it seems like he's just like, is about the right things. I was listening yesterday to once, once we locked this in, I was going to have you on. I was listening to the most recent episode of unsalvageables, which everybody should go listen to if you want, you know, everything that's going on with the jazz, Uh, Sarah and Greg do a great job with that. But I was listening to the most recent episode of that. And you said something really interesting about how, Keontae George told you that he was watching film of Mike Conley from last year just because he wants to see how he played off of Lowry Markin and how he got him the ball in certain places. And that's yeah. those are the kinds of things where, you know, when you're evaluating these rookies, which obviously that's kind of the mode that I'm in right now with, you know, once Scoot gets back from this injury, you know, how is he looking? How is he acclimating? You're not going to measure it in wins or even really measure it in stats because, like, this stuff is going to be rough, but a 20-year-old kid saying, I'm watching film of how Mike Conley played with the guy that's on my team last year. That just tells you, okay, this kid's about the right things and eventually, like, he's going to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I mean, he says that kind of stuff. Like, every once in a while, you, you do the post-game or whether it's a shoot-around or just talking to him, whatever. He says something that seems kind of just like he's saying it offhand. And it uh-huh. kind of, like, sticks in my craw a little bit because I'm like, this guy doesn't realize how important that thing is that he's saying. Like, whether it's he's watching film of Mike Conley and he's watching not only like how he paces the ball, but also like when on the shot clock, is he looking at Lowry when on the shot clock? Is he looking at Walker Kessler at what Mm -hmm. point on the screen does he start to roll with Kessler? Like he's watching the right things, not just wanting to like watch Mike Conley play basketball. And then the other day we're talking about, you know, like, um, how he's coming along as a passer and kind of as a as a creator and distributor because he was more of a scorer in college. Uh-huh. And he's like, yeah, well, in college, I was the guy. But, like, obviously, Lowry's the best player on this team, so anytime I can get him the ball, it's the right play. And so he just, like, he's completely shifted his mindset. And, and to, to do that in such a short amount of time, it's like, I'm really impressed with the kid. And it's 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 always, like, it's it's so hard to kind of go from I, and I I don't think people like were really prepared for how hard it is to go from, you know, in in Portland obviously you know Dame has been in the league for ten years and he you know does things a certain way and has a certain mm-hmm. level of experience and is pretty low mistake in you know in a lot of these right. ways, and in Utah Mike Conley is the same way mm-hmm. like he's just one of the most steady you know reliable like you know he's always going to make the right play he's not going to you know try to do too much. And then you get to, whether it's Keontae George, who's kind of still figuring stuff out, or here in Portland before he got injured, Scoot was kind of in that in that same mold where it's like he's playing totally, you know, he's playing kind of out of his, you know, the, the speed that he is currently capable of playing at. Like, he's trying to do more than he's currently capable of doing, and he's going to get there eventually. But has it been a little bit of whiplash for you watching, you know, it go from, you know, 
a you know 10 12 year vet like Conley to what you know now it is you know with a rookie point guard trying to get the same guys you know in in certain spots and just kind of watching him figure it out I mean I think I think the whiplash a little bit happened last season because they uh-huh. traded Conley at the deadline and then you know I had a few months of Taylor Horton Tucker at point guard which is just not good and like that's not his position that's well and the thing is is neither neither is shooting guard so like if if THT wants to be in the NBA he has to be a point guard because you know 29% from three isn't going to cut it as a two Uh and but as a point guard he just isn't a good decision maker and that's kind of the job. And so I, I've spent the last few months kind of wondering, like, what is this guy's role in the NBA? And can it be anything that is actually on this team? And so I think that the whiplash that I experienced was throughout that experience, like throughout that whole situation. And now that we're like kind of moving on to Keontae George, who, um, I mean, he's he's the future of this jazz team. Like it, it is Keontae George that right now is like, if he wants it and he's able to like work for it, he could be the point guard of the future for this team. And so now it's, it's, it's not so much whiplash as I am. I'm like just looking towards the future and thinking, what could this team be? What kind of feedback have you gotten from jazz fans about how they're kind of receiving this last year? It was a little bit of a, different thing where maybe they kind of went into the season expecting it to you know be a, a tank slash rebuild year and right. then they started off the way that they started off and didn't really you know pull back and decide okay let's go for the lottery until after the deadline when they traded right. everybody now i think i think everybody kind of maybe locally it was different but everybody i feel like nationally kind of went into this season thinking that the jazz were probably going to be about where they are right, right. now yeah, Has I that think, been something that fans have been like willing to go along with? I think that nationally, the Jazz are probably where they were expected to be. I think that locally, I think Jazz fans expected a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I think right now, seriously, I mean, I keep talking about it, but the THT and Keontae George things have been, it's the biggest storyline with Jazz fans. And I think Jazz fans were so pissed off that THT even got eight games at uh-huh. like starting point guard like that was enough to piss them off to be like what are we doing just give the rookie the reins like we don't uh-huh. want to do this anymore and so right now they're so happy that they're not watching that now that they're on board for like and i think that's the same way honestly like the jazz players and coaching staff are feeling too uh-huh. is like they're going to be okay with the struggles that they have with Keontae George because they know that there's like an end goal with it and the struggles that they were having with Taylor Horton Tucker at point guard, like he's on an expiring deal. He's clearly playing out of position. If he has a position, like what's the reason that we're dealing with all these turnovers and mistakes if it's not going anywhere. Right. And so now that they've switched over, I think everyone's willing to live with the mistakes. And so it's just a lot lighter. Yeah, and I kind of feel like how, I guess, surprising, as much as, like, you know, I think every, you know, everybody probably, you know, internally knows, you know, that there's going to be those struggles. It's, it's kind of the same way here in Portland where, you know, Cha- you know, Chauncey has said this on the record a whole bunch of times. Some of the more veteran guys, Malcolm Brogdon, whoever, have all said, you know, yeah, we know there's going to be struggles because it's such a young team. But I wonder if just because the Jazz started off last season the way that they started off, 
Now, you know, and a lot of these guys are the same. I know, you know, they traded Conley, they traded a couple of the other veteran guys, but a lot of the guys, not, you know, not just Lowry, but like Jordan Clarkson is still there. And, you know, some Mm -hmm. of the other guys who are in the rotation were there last year and are still there. They've seen already that if you play a certain way, if you, you know, if you play the way that that Will Hardy wants them to play, the results are maybe going to be there faster than expected. And maybe it's, it's, it's easier for them to kind of, buy into okay we just need to trust the process we need to not you know get bent out of shape over every single one of these losses because you know we've seen it we've seen it work even for like short stretches of last season yeah and i think you know there's been there's been small stretches during games within this season like losses to certain teams where they've like they've won like the second and third quarter but they've lost the fourth quarter right like Uh there's there's been stretches where they see it and the things that they do well, they are doing well. And when they aren't making mistakes, like it feels like everything's like flowing very well on the basketball court, especially from like a, like an X's no standpoint, like when they actually execute what will wants them to, then things look really good on the court. And so I think, you know, seeing a little bit of it last season and knowing that they've had pockets of it this season, I think everyone thinks that like eventually a, the page is going to turn and they're going to not be, you know, losing, three out of every 10 games or losing seven out of every 10 games. And so I think, and that's their hope. And I think, you know, along with that comes the idea, well, like, what if they do, what if this is kind of their record, like going throughout the rest of the season? What if they're just not good? What if they lose seven out of every 10 games? Well, then how do they respond? Like, does the locker room start to fracture? Do guys start to get pissed off because they're losing all the time? And so, uh, and Will Hardy's really good at managing like personalities and expectations, that's probably the best thing that he does as a coach. And so I, I think that last year's team, because there was so little expectation, everyone knew that they were going to eventually tank, that he didn't have to really worry about it too much. And I think this season, like, Will's really going to be tested. That's something I'm watching this year with Chauncey, too. Just because, yeah. ev- again, everybody knows this year what this season is going to be. They tra- As soon as they traded Dame, and even though, like, they got good NBA players back for him with DeAndre Ayton and Rob Williams, who's out for the year, and Malcolm Brogdon, who, contrary to national, you know, discourse, they're really not in any hurry to trade or have a lot of interest in trading right now. And, but, and then, like, they brought back Jeremy Grant, who's a good NBA player. It's not like the Rockets of the last couple of years where it was just the right. whole roster was kids. But you're going to, like, if you're Chauncey Billups or, you know, in in Utah, if you're Will Hardy, you're going to have to manage, you know. It's great right now to talk. We're, you know, we're in the second week of November to talk about, uh, oh, we know this is going to be a long process, but what's going to happen in February when both of these teams are 10 games under 500 or guys still right, exactly. in or are guys going to be like chasing their own stats, trying to get their next contract or guys going to like be asking to be traded because they're tired of the losing. Like how's all of that going to work so far, at least from, you know, from the Portland end, there've been two games this season where they were just not in them. The opening night against the Clippers and the, I think third game of the season in Philadelphia. Other than that, they, you know, they, they're three and six. Their record is what their record is, but they've been in every other one of their games that they've played. They were in you know, the game last night against the Lakers. They went to overtime against Sacramento. The second game they lost to Memphis, they, uh, you know, that, they, were, they were in that one and then just kind of ran out of gas and stopped making shots. They haven't really been just run off the floor, which you would kind of expect them to with how many injuries they've had and how many 
you know, young guys that they have replacing all the veterans that they had last year, like, it's kind of, at least in the short term, like, they're getting these, you know, both these coaches, it seems like, are just, like, getting that buy-in. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the... I think the Jazz really need, like, a win against a good team, you know? Uh-huh. Like, like even if it's one and then they lose ten more, right? Like, they, right. they need at least that because two of their three wins are against the Grizzlies. And, like, <laughs> that's not hard to do if we're right. being honest, right? It's so, the same thing with Portland. There are three wins. One of them was Memphis in the in-season tournament game. So that one right. actually, like, helps, helps towards the sphere uh, goals. Right. But, like... They beat Detroit, and that required... They were down double digits in that one, and that required, like, Shaden Sharp to go off in the second half. And then they beat Toronto, who... You know, Toronto's not bad, but they're not, like... Not good. Especially good, either. They're, like, a pretty middle-of-the-pack team in the East, so... And the Jazz... I mean, the Jazz's third win was against the Clippers, but it was actually their first win of the season, and it was the second game of the season. And so, like, when you win one of the first two games, you can't really, like, go a lot off that, I don't think, because there's just not a lot of information. Everyone's kind of figuring stuff out. And so I think, like, over the next couple of weeks, I mean, honestly, the Lakers, the Jazz play a a play-in game against the Lakers, and that's the game that, like... I think that they would really feel good about if they won that one, like all the other ones they could honestly lose because they play their schedule is so weird over the next couple of weeks. They've got some of those like baseball series things uh-huh. where they, they play the suns two times in a row. They play the Pelicans two times in a row and then separated. They play the blazers twice in like the next yeah. week. And so and then another time, like a week after that, because there's like the, there's the one, there's yeah. the game tomorrow. There's the game in Portland like a week from now. And then Portland goes on this four game road trip after Thanksgiving that's like, uh, it's like Milwaukee, Indy, Cleveland. And then the fourth game is Utah. So they're by, b- before Christmas, they're going to be, you know, three of the four. And then I think the Jazz come here like later in the season. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a weird schedule. And I think that, um, you know, winning any of those games, whether it's something against the Suns or it's something mm-hmm. against the Lakers, something like that, where they're playing these teams multiple times, they can get a little bit of that familiarity, right? Like if they're, yeah. if it's kind of like playoff style, like, oh, we can like chess match one of these and win uh-huh. them. That's going to really help morale because right now it's like, yeah, we've, we've won three and we won the last game and we're going into playing the Blazers who are like not particularly good. Like maybe we can get that one too, but beating bad teams doesn't always feel as good <laughs> when you're when you're trying to like when it's a bunch of young guys that you're trying to get to buy in right be like hey look we can do this it's like yeah you're supposed to beat you know detroit or Memphis yes or... exactly well so let me tell you something having watched the lakers without lebron last night lebron didn't play i think that's just right. like a one-time thing i don't think he's like out long term but without lebron Lakers are not that impressive. Like no, they're there is really like without like if you like outside of Anthony Davis, like uh, there's really not that much of a talent gap between the other Lakers, the three through ten on the Lakers, and the Blazers team that was like on the floor. Like you, you know, Jeremy Grant is probably better than any of the Lakers. You know, three through ten, Matisse Thybul might be better than anybody on the Lakers. Right, three through ten, DeAndre Ayton, like. The Lakers are really not that, and I and I mean they'll probably they might just be fine anyway, just because outside of Denver, who just lost Jamal Murray for the next month, like nobody in the West is like super super impressive. I guess Minnesota's been pretty good so far, but like there's really like the West is so weird because 
even though, like, you know, I think both the Blazers and the Jazz are going to be kind of in that bottom tier and not even really sniffing the play-in by the end of the season, there's really no hierarchy outside of, like, if Denver gets fully healthy, Denver is clearly better than everybody else. But other than that, it's, like, just kind of whatever, you know, you you, you, you know, the, you know, two through, like, 12, you could tell me is in any order, and I'd probably go along with it. Yeah, and even some of the teams that are playing well, like, I don't really believe it either, too, right? Houston. Houston, uh, even Minnesota, like, I'm just waiting for them to not be good because I kind of don't believe that. Um, Some of the Luka stuff, like, you wonder how long that's going to go well for, you know? Like, there, Uh there are teams that are playing well in the West that I don't necessarily believe them yet, too. So it's so wide open and so weird. I mean, you kind of just assume that, uh, you know, the Lakers... Uh, the Nuggets, obviously, and probably the Warriors are going to be like up in the top tier. Um, but I also just like have no idea what's going on with the Suns because like their I'm guys watching... have never, their guys still haven't been all healthy at the same time. <laughs> and like watching their games, it's so weird because like I've I've watched a few of them, and on one night they look really really good, and on the next night I'm like, what happened to that team that was playing two days ago? This is completely opposite. <laughs> it's been very amusing to me to watch the Suns after because after the trade the Aiton Nurkic trade and I get that they needed to move on from Aiton and like personality wise that was just not going to work whatever but I have over the last week been listening to a lot of the national podcasts that were talking about how great Phoenix made out in that trade and how you know they just needed to move on and how Nurkic is going to play so much better, you know, more in the style that they want to play. And all of the, and you know, that, that was what all those same, those shows were saying, you know, at the beginning of the season. And then I think there was like this collective realization from people who didn't really watch Portland probably very much, understandably so for a lot of the last couple of years of, you know, what the reality of Yusuf Nurkic on a night-to-night basis actually right. is. And that's starting to set in, I think, for for people. And I mean, that's the, that's the it's thing. Been, it's been interesting to watch. When you when any of these trades go down, like, uh, players that teams are willing to let go of, right? Like, uh-huh. not, not players that are asking out, right? But right. But players that are, teams are willing to trade, that means that they're not perfect, right? There's probably a reason that a team is like willing to. Exactly. And I mean that that the the Phoenix end of that trade was you know however the Aiton stuff turns out and like Aiton's generally you know outside of the first couple of games Aiton has largely been pretty good since he got to Portland and he's been sure. buying into being like third or fourth on the hierarchy and he's been pretty good defensively. The prize of that trade from the Portland standpoint has been Tumani Kamara, who's like this year's Herb Jones as far as like a right. second round pick who's like immediately an impact guy but usually for these guys like yeah there's there's probably a reason why a lot of these guys were you know getting traded just from whatever end yeah and like i mean it rarely ends up i think like for example the donovan mitchell trade to cleveland you know getting lowry back in that trade i think that there there was a little bit of where you know he's been in the league five years and um Bounced a he, couple of different teams. Bounced didn't a couple work different out in teams. Chicago. Was a weird fit in Cleveland with Mobley and Allen. Yeah. Exactly, and so it was a little bit weird. I don't think that anybody expected him to like be an all star and be the number one option on a team. Like no one saw that really happening. Not even the Jazz. Like they liked him, sure, and they thought that he could do more for them. But 
uh, that's rarely the situation. Like when, when teams let go of players, there is usually good and bad to it. No one is perfect. And so, you know, for anyone on the, on the Phoenix side or some of the Suns fans, like looking forward to like getting use of Nurkic, you know, immediately he's gonna like, have some games where he looks really good but then it's like there'll be games where like he has as many fouls as he has shot attempts and it's like yeah yeah, yeah. that's 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 about that's the that experience right exactly how is how has lowry been this year i have i will admit i haven't watched a ton of the jazz yet it's obviously he's gonna probably be a little bit less effective when he has you know doesn't have mike conley getting him the ball in spots and he has you know other guys instead who are not as good as mike conley but is how how's lowry been been this year so far so good. So, like, I I mean, it doesn't really feel like he's taken much of a step back on it. I'm, obviously, you know, when you have like the kind of season that he did last year, he's higher on the scouting report. He's he's the number one guy and defenses are obviously scheming specifically against him. And so he's seeing like a, he's guarded a lot higher. He is trapped a lot more. Guys are blitzing, and so it makes a lot of sense that things have little bit been a little bit tougher for him in in that regard. At the same time, like he's broken through it, and he's still aggressive. Uh, he's sped up his shot release a little bit, so uh-huh. uh, that's helped because when guys are closing out or trying to blitz him, like he just lets it fly, and he's such a good shooter that it doesn't matter. And so he's he's still really really good. <laughs> And how's John Collins fit in? Yeah, that not not as not a high not as a not. That's is not that another one where what you're just talking about with the trade stuff? It's like yeah, there's a reason that they got him for like a second round pick. Yeah, Rudy Gay in a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's and that's that's the thing is like for the Jazz, it's how much. I think when you make that trade, you're trying to figure out. Well, how much is his redundancy with Clint Capella on the roster? Uh-huh. How much of it was redundancy and how much of it is that he's just not good, right? And so you give up a second in Rudy Gay to figure that out because it's so cheap. Um, but the problem that we're having right now is Walker Kessler out for the last couple games. Things look a little bit better because they're not both like clogging the lane and creating spacing problems. With both of them on the floor, it's a problem. And so with Walker hurt and John Collins playing kind of like de facto small ball five in that starting lineup, it's looked a lot better. There's it's created a lot more space for Jordan Clarkson. It's created a lot more space for Lowry Markinen. And so I think the problem is that the jazz are going to have to figure out when Colin or when Walker comes back, can they play together or do you just have to bring Collins off the bench? Because it's, you know, there's good and bad and everything. It's the spacing is great with Walker off the floor, but then you allow 74 points in the paint because you have no one protecting the rim, right? Like, and so there, there's definitely a balance that needs to be struck there. And that's, and that's one that like long-term they're going to have to figure out because Walker's their guy. Walker's exactly. their, you know, if, if Ke- you know, if Keontae George is a future at point guard, pretty clearly Walker Kessler is 100%. the future of the, you know, that that's the guy, like, even though, you know, you traded for John Collins and he is on the contract that he's on, like you, Walker's the guy that you have to kind of make sure everything is geared towards. But then if you bring John Collins off the bench, then it gets back to kind of the situation that he was in, in Atlanta, where he doesn't have the kind of role that he wants to have. And it's just yeah. like a weird fit. Yeah. It's weird too, because like, you don't want to make too many, you know, 
like rash reactional reactionary decisions in the first 10 games of the season right because especially uh-huh. when you're adding so many new guys or in the case of like both of these teams there's so many young players you don't want to like react to some data sets because they don't mean as much right now mm-hmm. yeah but at the same time there are situations where you see a problem early on and you're like okay well that's that's not just a get to know guys that's a problem and i think with john collins I'm starting to wonder, like, are the problems that he was having defensively, like, offensively, fine. Like, we'll wait to see if the shot's going to fall. Like, that might happen with more familiarity once he's used to his spots on the floor with the team. But defensively, I'm wondering what he does. Like, what 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 do you do here? <laughs> What's your job here? Because sometimes he's in the wrong spot and he looks confused. And you can chalk that up to, like, being on a new team. But sometimes yeah. he's in the right spot. It doesn't do anything. And I just wonder, what is it that you do here? <laughs> Seeing a little bit of that in Portland offensively with DeAndre Ayton, where they're still <laughs> kind of trying to figure out. I mean, it, he's been better. Like, defensively, he's been pretty good from the beginning, except for that first game of the season when he got in foul trouble early. He's been pretty good defensively, but it's just offensively it's been he hasn't been shooting it. He just hasn't been getting as many looks as he, you know, that people maybe thought he was going to get. And then that started to improve. Maybe part of that is just because of injuries, but he started to get featured more and he's starting to get a little bit more comfortable. But that's something that these, you know, when you, when you trade for a guy that was that much of a high usage guy in his old spot, but also was a guy that wasn't doing enough in his old spot and wanted to, you know, do more. It's something you just like have to figure out as the season goes along. Yeah, I mean, with a guy like Aiton, too, I think especially at the center position, the way that offenses are built in the NBA nowadays, too, like, uh-huh. if you want him to thrive offensively, like, that's that's twofold, right? Like, either it has to be intentional that someone's going to get him the ball, or he has to be intentional well about, like, getting offensive boards and, like, putbacks and stuff like that, because no one's really running, like, post-up actions anymore, and right. so and so that kind of then you look to guys like Scoot or Simons or whoever it is that has the ball in their hands. Right. And it's like neither it, of those guys have really been having the ball in their hands much lately because they haven't been playing. Right. But so, <laughs> you, I mean, and it's going to be like the job of the person with the ball in the hands. Like if you want him to be effective and like running well on the offensive end, you've got to get him the ball. Right. So this in season tournament thing tomorrow this is this is this is big how how have guys have you had a chance to ask guys on the jazz about you know, oh yeah i've been talking to them nonstop. how does how has that been how's how how are they feeling about it what do guys think about it yeah i think like before because they've only played one in season tournament game it was their win over memphis yeah and i think that before that everyone was like very intrigued right it was like let's see how this goes like i don't don't know the nba is trying something new i'm in for it and the money is very real like oh yeah i think that there's a lot of people on the outside who think oh someone who makes like 17 million or more a year Uh is gonna be like 500,000 is like not that much right do not do not think that $500,000 $500,000 is a lot to these guys. Even the guys to who, any of these guys. Yeah, even the guys who make like top tier money, they're like, yeah, that's a whole house. Like <laughs> like that's we're talking about like big time money here. And so everyone has been really re- and I'll say this because I over the summer I kind of broke down the numbers looking at um what NBA teams make during the playoffs and $500,000 per player is more than the Denver Nuggets players made being the number one seeded team and then winning the finals. 
their their final like per player pool was like 473,000 per player but that is before you pay for championship rings before you vote to put any of that money into a pool for like team chef team masseuse trainers Uh because that all comes from the same pool so five hundred thousand dollars per player is more than the top seeded team could make if they won the finals (laughs) and so players hear that and they're like i want that bag and so well (laughs) yeah Yeah, and and like the like like I, I a couple of guys in the Blazers locker room were talk were talking about like I remember we like it was two guys that were sitting next to each other. One of them was DeAndre Ayton, who is you know making thirty thirty two million or something this year, sure. whatever his salary is. That's a you know pretty high salary. And sitting next to him was Justin Manaya, who's on a two way. So for Justin Manaya, I don't know what the I think it's like four hundred and fifty or five hundred. So if the Blazers win the in-season tournament. That's literally doubling his salary, and he's a guy on a two-way, so he isn't like established that he is for sure going to have a ten-year career in the NBA, and he's going to get another contract. So yes. that is literally life-changing money for him. But then even like DeAndre Ayton, like we, you know, he he was like, man, I want that extra five hundred k too. Like every like everybody, like just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're going to turn down more money. Like that's, no. you know, if the, you're if you're if you're you know, are also like I think the coaches get. Uh, you know, don't the coaches also get 500k? Yeah, the coaches are in it too, and like that's and, that's very real money to them because they, yeah, they like, do not make 17 million dollars a year. Well, right, but even like you know, Will Hardy and Chauncey Billups are both in their current jobs, first time head coaches, and they're still on their first contract as a head coach. So, coaching salaries aren't public, so I don't know exactly what either of those guys make. So it's probably in both cases somewhere in like the four or five million a year range, give or take. An extra 500k is not an insignificant bump. No, I, and like it's it's a it's it's more than not insignificant. Like, and it, I think especially because a lot of people forget like the amount the amount that NBA players are taxed uh-huh. uh, too. Like, it's it's huge because you know they pay like you know whatever. And a lot of people also like for places like like Oregon or Florida where like taxes are like easier to go by. I think that people forget that NBA players also have to pay jock tax, which is basically right. like a combined income tax for all the States that they play in. Yeah. And it's and, not even just the players. It's like, I've heard, like I've talked to like Blazers team staffers who have like have to do their taxes because if they all fly on the same, t- on the plane, they have the per they diem. Have to they pay also, jock tax. Yeah. They have to, they have to pay that stuff too. I wonder, I, I, I don't know. And this is getting deep into the weeds of like NBA <laughs> accounting stuff, but like, I wonder, I wonder if all of the in season tournament bonus technically counts as having been played, even though like the group stage games are in the different cities. I wonder if those, right. if I wonder if the $500,000 bonus is taxed, at the Nevada rate, and Nevada doesn't have a state income tax. Oh, that's so actually, I, wonder... I mean, that's a good question because I, I the playoff pool, I don't know mm-hmm. how that's taxed. And so I would assume that probably this is going to be taxed in the same way. Uh-huh. That's actually a good question. I wonder if <laughs> this this is what people come to us for is NBA. Yeah, this is the, uh, the NBA accounting chat. This is what this is what we're doing right this now. Is but a, this is an NBA accounting podcast. But generally generally speaking, like have the guys on the jazz now that they have played a game, because right. with Portland, it did feel like there was a little bit more juice in the building. There was definitely the more in-season juice. I mean, uh, tournament. Did the players kind of react to it the same way? A hundred percent. I I talked to John Collins before the in-season tournament game, and he was like, "Yeah, I don't know. Like, we'll see. It's probably just going to be a regular season game." And then talked to him the next day after 
the game and he was like nope straight up there was more juice it was different like it was absolutely and like you can look around the league and see that like the lakers were pissed that they let the suns get off a three in the final seconds because that gave them a smaller point differential like oh that's right i forgot about about that that part of it yeah um the kings uh demonis sabonis was like pushing and yelling at kevin herter for not putting up a shot even though the game was in hand because they had the ball at the end and he wanted a higher point differential like guys are thinking about (laughs) the next step of this like what if we end up in a tiebreaker like things guys are actually thinking about that stuff and so like the jazz came out of it now they have like I mean, it's only plus six right now in the group that they're in with the Blazers, but they have uh-huh. the highest like point differential. And so they're like, yeah, currently we're in first place. And so like, we want it, we're going for it. <laughs> and it, I think this is almost kind of where the court uh, helps because it just immediately sets it apart as like, this is a different thing. I like a couple exactly. of different times. Like I was a week ago when I was at the first uh, Blazers first in season tournament game, I was just hanging out out on the court a couple hours before the game when guys were just like they were right. warming up. And as guys came out onto the floor, you saw them like cuz I don't think any of them had actually like seen the court in person or you know they right. had been told like oh yeah 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 there's going to be these special courts for this thing. I don't think anybody really put much thought into it or you know was was really like considering it. They walk at uh, four or five different guys. I saw walk out onto the court for the first time, just like to get their work in pregame. They just like stop and like do a double take when they see what the court looks like. And they're just like, yeah. Oh, okay. This is different. Like, so what, what yeah. is this? And about? I think, I think there's going to be a little bit of that with the jazz too, because the Grizzlies in season court, like was largely gray. And so like the gray courts are the worst. It's like, it wasn't fun. It didn't really stand out. It didn't really like make things feel very different. Right. Right. Um, but it's going to be very noticeable when they walk out and see purple, really loud purple. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but you're, I think you're completely right. Like, uh, the court adds something to that. And I was talking to some of like the international players who are like more familiar with, uh, soccer tournaments and yeah. how it, it kind of resembles that the in-season tournament does. Yeah. And then also like guys who have played like in FIBA tournaments, it's also reminiscent of that too and they're like yeah i love this it makes sense like we this is what it happens in other sports like this is fun and the fact that you're changing like jerseys their shirts the court is different like it all adds something to it so i i think it's real it's i i did a story probably three or four years ago it was definitely before covid when adam was first talking seriously about wanting to do the in-season tournament i did a story where i asked a bunch of european guys who have played in leagues that have that sort of structure Mm -hmm. whether they think it could work in the nba and it was pretty split like there were some guys like like ricky rubio i remember was like and maybe just because ricky is like the most you you know ricky because he used to be on the jazz but like he's like the most agreeable guy you know, I know in the in the universe but he was like oh yeah this could be good you know this could work I see what they're trying to do but then you ask some other guys like I talked to uh Tomas Sadoransky right. I remember and then Evan Fournier when he was on the Magic I talked to about it like like Evan Fournier had played in the in the French league where they they do something like this and Mario Hazonia who was on the Blazers at the time and was you know he's from Croatia but he had played in Spain for a couple of years before he came mm-hmm. over to the NBA and all of them were like, this works in Europe because European fans are, like, soccer is the number one sport in Europe, right. and all the soccer leagues have this sort of schedule, so it's ingrained in 
people in these other countries and in you know other parts of the world that this is how the sports leagues work and it's going to be harder for you know in america not just in the nba because with the nba it's like everything is about the finals or you know in other sports it's like it's everything is about the super bowl or the world series or the stanley cup or whatever the case may be that it's going to take a while for everybody's brains to be rewired maybe to say no this is actually this other thing that's also important that you also have to care about and i think it's going to get there eventually and it seems like all the like more of the response has been positive than i expected it to be but I don't know. To me, to me, especially uh, me and you covering teams that don't really have any kind of realistic shot at making the playoffs, right. let alone you know winning the a championship. <laughs> it's something interesting. To, it's something. That, it's something that's a little bit more interesting to talk about and write about and cover than just normal you know November games. So in that sense, yeah. I'm all for it. Yeah, and I think I mean to that point, like the the reasons that the NBA did this, like. Number one, obviously, revenue, right? Like, they want more money. Sell this package to Amazon or whatever for the next TV deal. But, like, underneath that, it's, like, in order to get that revenue and the other reasons to do this is, like, get more buy-in from fans, players, coaches during the regular Mm -hmm. season. And I think that, like, you are succeeding in that. And so I think it's true. Like, this is going to take some time to catch on. But, like, the reason that it works, like... um, like you were saying that like Mario mentioned, like the reason that it worked so well in Europe is because like they're used to it. Well, they can't get used to it unless you keep doing it. And so like eventually, like if they keep doing this, you will get used to it. And I, I've seen, you know, a lot of like people suggesting that uh, the stakes right now are for the players, right? Like it's, it's, it's the money is for the players. So like what do the fans have to like get invested in? And so like if they were to maybe like, give the winner of the in-season tournament like the final play-in spot just automatically like that was given to the the like the play-in spot like the 10th seat or whatever is like you can't get less than that if you win the nba cup like that kind of stuff is understandable they could toy with it they could change it but like as it as it stands right now like if it were to just continue like this there's a uh you know there's a financial incentive and there's like a trophy for the in-season tournament like it is working right now at least at a low scale like and we haven't even seen it to its completion yet i don't know where i land on giving a playoff spot to a team i mean i definitely don't land anywhere on giving a playoff spot but like giving someone like at at very worst you're gonna be like the 10 seed or right right like the final play in position I think I could probably be convinced of that. The way that I've heard, the suggestion that I've heard that I actually think makes the most sense is you have it be like a tiered thing based on where you do end up finishing, where like if you won the in-season tournament and you finish outside you finish outside of the playoffs or outside of the play-in, you get the 10th seed. If you right. finish in if you finish in the play-in, you get the top play-in spot where you get like home court advantage yeah. for all the games. And then if you finish in the top six then you get home court advantage like in the first round even if you're five or six or or so like you can you can do it something like that where it's not like you know denver wins the in-season tournament and then they're just like oh yeah you know we can chill the rest of the way because we know that we're not going to fall out of the playoffs right right like you don't you don't want that and you also don't want like you also don't like as much as like it seems like a fun idea on paper, do you really want 
Charlotte or Detroit to get a top, you know, to get a play-in spot because they won the in-season tournament. That's something that I think is more fun on paper than it is, like, having to actually watch that game or risk, you know, having one of those teams actually get in the playoffs. Like, I, right. I don't know and if that's really something that people want. I think that we'd need probably, I don't know, seven to ten years of this to play out before we would know. Yeah. Like, I think right now I'm my assumption is – like the bad teams won't one that won't win the NBA cup, right? Like it's probably going right. to be one of the better teams anyways, but in the early part of the season, we don't know, right? Like, like we have no idea. They could the, both the blazers and the jazz, Blaz- whichever, Blaz- yeah. whichever one of the, these teams, they're both one and O right now. In, in but to your point, like if, you... if they, if they win, if whichever team wins the game tomorrow is going to be two and O in the, uh, right in in the in the in the uh in the in the group play and so you know there's there's a you know it's within the realm of possibility and you look at the other teams that they still have left to play like the right. lakers as we talked about are pretty beatable and the suns we you know they their guys are still in and out of the lineup and they're they're not they're not like a juggernaut by any means and but i mean so to your point like if you if you were doing sort of like a tiered prize system right like if you decided uh-huh. okay like if if someone like the Jazz make it, and if you finish like outside of the play-in or within that like bottom tier, like the best that you're probably going to get out of it is either a ten or a seven seed. Like I don't think that that really upsets the NBA right. structure too much. And so I think if you were able to do something like that, that you know, you're you're not rewarding um, like mediocrity throughout the season. You're like rewarding them within the group that they would be in anyways. Right. Yeah, I think there are ways that you know you can you can play with it. I. I I'm higher on it than I think a lot of people are. I think it's I think so far it's worked. I think more of the games than not have been competitive. Right. It seems like people are more getting up for it than not getting up for it. Obviously, something like this isn't going to have a hundred percent approval rating. I think but... I mean in ESPN. I guess uh, today they like released their ratings reviews for like the first week of the in season tournament play, and they're up like fifty five percent over the same days. Yeah. And so like. I don't sure. know how much stock to put into that stuff. They, you can you can manipulate those. You absolutely can. One. I'm not really. I yeah. <laughs> I'm, I I usually just like delete whenever I get a press release about TV ratings. I'm just like delete, yeah, delete. That, that, That's one of the ones I just kind of look past and don't really put that much stock into. And whether it's yeah. like positive or negative, I just am not really like. Yeah. People who are smarter than me know how to actually parse that data and parse you know. Yeah. Exactly. What any of it means. Uh, uh, just FYI, the Blazers injury report literally just came out, and Malcolm Brogdon is still out. Okay. All right. Cool. Okay. So who's now playing then? So they're <laughs> yeah. starting five. Who do the five. Blazers have? <laughs> so Skylar Mays is now their starting point guard. Great. They just converted him from, and he's actually been pretty solid. Like he's I a, definitely he's a, know who that is, and have yeah. What? No. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he was he was he was playing a lot down the stretch last year. He was one of the guys that they brought in on one of those like ten days when they started tanking towards the end of the year. Right. But they kept him around on a two way, and they just a couple days ago converted his uh, contract from a two way to a standard NBA contract because they had an open roster spot, and I think. Part of that is he's actually been pretty good, and he's right. you know, he earned that. But the other part of it is that when you're on a two-way, you can only play 50 games in the season, and they have so many other guards down that you don't want to worry about that. Yeah, you don't want so to then to out. And then so to replace him on the uh, two-way, they, uh, they've signed, uh, I don't know if this name is familiar to you at all, but Jamari Bouya. Or Bu- 
Booyah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Booyah. <laughs> he, he played at San Francisco. He was on the last year, he was on the Heat for like a 10 day and the Wizards for a 10 day, but he's been on the, uh, you know, he was, he's been on the Miami G League team. So, you know, and he, he played last night for his first game. He looked okay. So the starting lineup for tomorrow is going to be Skylar Mays, Shaden Sharp, who's been awesome. Like, that's right. been the bright spot of this season. He's been, like, making the leap. Matisse Thibel is still starting at the three. And then Jeremy Grant and DeAndre Ayton. And then off the bench, it's going to be, uh, I guess, Jamari Bouyah. Yeah. Boo, yeah. I'm still figuring out how to like spell like pronounce I mean, these guys' I, names. It's Boo Yeah. I it's prefer Bouye. that his name is Boo Yeah. That's awesome. So <laughs> I, that's not you know that that's well that's that but it, no it's Boo Yeah. So yeah. And then and then uh, Tumani Kamara who is right. gonna be you know he's he's been kind of the surprise of the year that you know this second round pick this fifty second pick that they got from Phoenix in the Dame trade is been you know has been has been good and then jabari walker who's also been pretty good he's in his second year and then uh duop wreath who they just you know he's a two-way guy he's a center from australia uh they just he just made his nba debut last night he you know he played summer league last this summer and then he was on a two-way and he like so it's it they're 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 patching it together with that is a bunch of guys (laughs) it's definitely some guys and like the jazz are kind of the Jazz are def- are kind of in the same spot if like Walker Kessler isn't playing that like yeah it's I mean, a little get, bit of you get a little I mean there's a little bit I think there's a little bit more name recognition with some of those right like, you, with you like get Jordan a Clarkson of, and you get a little bit of small ball five from like Kelly Olynyk too so, sure like, yeah that's that's familiar to people but I mean the Jazz definitely have some guys some just some guys too like uh, has Taylor Hendricks gotten in really yet no I'm actually going tonight to watch him uh, he's the Jazz's G League team is playing the Ignite tonight, and so I'm going uh-huh. to go watch that. A oh, big, that, how's, big night how's, in Salt you, Lake City. Do you go to a lot of G League games? Uh, last year, I went to I don't know two or three. Uh, I'll okay. probably go. I'll probably go to maybe a little bit more because uh, they are going to be playing Taylor Hendricks and Bryce Sensabaugh in their G uh-huh. League team. I think the thing is, is like much to the chagrin of everybody else who like looks at lottery picks, like their absolute golden should be playing in the NBA immediately. Right. Like uh, the jazz drafted Taylor Hendricks knowing that he wasn't ready. And yeah. they like, before they even drafted him, like they had talked to him and was like, we want you to like come along slowly. And like, we're going to put you in the G league. And uh, Taylor Hendricks, like didn't even think that he was going to be drafted basically a month before it happened. And so he was like, he's fully on board with it. Like he knows he's not ready. He's really green. Like he's just, he's like the most 19 year old basketball player you could imagine. Mm -hmm. He's so, so green. And so they just like want him to get reps. So basically he doesn't like get completely swallowed up and embarrass himself, you know, like, and I think, I think that's a completely fair way to look at it. And like, it's really hard for jazz fans to kind of put their head around that because you also have like, Keontae George who at 19 was getting reps immediately with the jazz but I mean the truth is that uh Keontae George was just ready he was more ready than Taylor Hendricks is and that yeah. is fine that's fine yeah. I mean the Blazers have a G League team now too they've stayed like for the first time the Rip City remix their their right. season opener is this coming Friday I won't be able to go to that one because it's the same night as a actual Blazers right. home game Against the Lakers, another big in-season tournament matchup with some big stakes. Right. But I I am going to be at Remix Games often this season because they've been already, like, they've... 
they've played their trump first of all it's like a it seems like a cool atmosphere it's like and the blazers are like lean i don't know i don't know where the the salt lake city stars play at but like the Blazers, the Rip City Remix, is playing at the University of Portland basketball gym, the Child Center, and they're right. leaning all the way into kids' tickets for these games cost five dollars, so bring your whole yeah. family and like That's make how the, all you know, they... league games are like, and right. it's so much fun because like, uh, it's good from like a family atmosphere like standpoint. It's also good from a reporting standpoint, like because yeah. like G League executives coaches players they'll say anything yeah. to you so like yeah just because these guys just like want any kind of attention and like and like the blazers like to your to your point you were talking about how like taylor Hendricks is gonna get some actual minutes in the g league He's gonna, the yeah, blazers gonna are 30 minutes <laughs> the blazers are planning and so far we've already seen this they've been ryan Rupert, their second rounder this right. french kid who's also 19 that was very high very, they were too they they yeah. they you know he's he's I think long-term they are, but, like, he's 19 and he is not close to ready to actually play in the NBA. But he's playing 30 minutes a game in the G League. And, like, Chris yeah. Murray, who was their other first-round pick besides Scoot, has right. – Keegan Murray's brother has has gotten in some of these G League games. Like, they've, they've – like, it's, it kind of helps when you're at your G League team is playing guys that are going to actually be your guys going forward. I think that right. helps fans get – invested in it too oh 100 percent. and like the and, same like you were saying like they're like five dollar tickets i mean like at, at um a couple of the ones that i went to last year for the jazz and i've been to you know santa cruz warriors games before i've been to like a few different g league venues and like they've got bounce houses and weird stuff outside uh -huh. for like kids and like everyone comes in they've got their own mascots and like there's a ton of giveaways and stuff but like it's also cool because like the uh NBA players like for the affiliate team like they'll show up and watch their yeah. rookies play and so yeah. like then kids get to get autographs and stuff because like everything is so like close quarters it's a smaller gym so it's it's very good stuff I like the G League who's the head coach of the Salt Lake City Stars uh Steve uh Wojerowski uh who was um the Marquette head coach. I okay believe. I know yeah, yeah I know who that is I know who that yeah is. so now he's coaching that team and like I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you can find out from these guys too, like yeah. uh, how they're coming along, what they look like during practice, because they they do long runs in the G League too for practice. Yeah, no, I was I, Justin Manaya, who's one of the Blazers two way guys, was with the Blazers for a lot of their you know their first road trip, but then he was with the Remix for some of the practices, and it, you know he was talking about like. Oh man, they ran us hard in that first G League practice. Yeah, they go like two late. and a half, three hours yeah. long in those G League practices because the whole point is like basically like not only for the other random guys you haven't heard of that are on those G League's team, you separate basically the weak like guys from the guys who can actually make it, but you're also trying like your hardest to like you have to get those guys who they want on the NBA team, you have to get them ready for some hard stuff. Right. Yeah, I'm. I am very much looking forward to going to some remix games. I think it's you know I've been saying for years that it was kind of ridiculous that the Blazers still didn't have a G League team when just yeah. about every other team in the league had one, and now that they finally have one, like you're already seeing Duop Reef, you know, a couple nights ago in their first ever remix game, went off for 37 and 11 against the uh, against the uh, South Bay Lakers, and then they brought up you know after you know once it kind of became determined that robert williams is going to be out for the season they brought him up because they need another big and they put him in and chauncey put him in and he looked pretty solid last night in his first nba game 
Yeah, and I mean, uh, with the Jazz, Ochai Abaji, who was 14th yeah. pick in, in last year's um, draft and came over in the Donovan Mitchell trade, right. uh, he started out the season in the G League and like very like he started out slow and everyone kind of wondered like, oh, is he going to be something real because they're starting him in the G League? And then once he started to get minutes with the Jazz, it was clear like you hit the ground running a lot better when you're getting reps in the G league versus watching games like in street clothes and not and getting like, or getting two minutes of garbage time play. Like it's a right. lot better for young guys to have that amount of run before they play real NBA minutes. I wonder if, you know, we, we were talking about how, like with the in-season tournament, how it's going to, you know, 10 years from now, how is it going to be looked at? Now that the G League, I think, is gonna, is looked at now as much more of, like, a part of the NBA ecosystem, yeah. I wonder if we're getting to a point where, you know, a lottery pick like a Taylor Hendricks or Ochai Akbaji uh, getting sent to the G League early on in their career isn't really stigmatized in the way that... Because with baseball, for example, like, for decades, even if you're like... I remember when Bryce Harper was drafted number one overall by the Nationals when he was, like, 17... He still didn't play in the major leagues for like three more years after he got drafted because he, you know, you even when you're like that high of a draft pick or like that, you know, that hyped of a prospect, you still got to come up through the minors a little bit. And I, and that's just something that when Bryce Harper was drafted and didn't play in the majors right away, nobody was saying, "Oh, what a bust!" Like he's not actually that good. It's just no, you just you go up through the minors, and, and that's just how it works. I wonder if like ten years from now the NBA is going to be a little bit more the NBA world is going to be a little bit more, you know, in that realm of people just accept that when a lottery pick plays a lot of their first season in the G League, that doesn't mean they're not good or that doesn't mean that, like, oh, they were the wrong pick or, you know, they, they're disappointing because they're playing in the G League. I hope so because, I mean, developmental leagues, farm systems, like, basically work in every other sport, right? Yeah. Um, um, I, and, I mean, maybe the NFL is not the best uh version of this but outside of that like every other sport worldwide like has some sort of system like this right and it works really well and like i i think that you get i think it has the potential at least to to lead to less like early bust talk if you right. are working on guys and like trying to help them acclimate kind of in a slower, steadier process than just like throwing them out on the floor first night and seeing if it works. And of course, every year there's going to be guys who are just ready for that kind of attention. Right. Like they're cer like certainly Keontae George or Tumani Kamara. Exactly. Like there are going to be guys who can handle it and are ready, but they're like, just because like Taylor Hendricks isn't ready right now does not mean that he's a bust. And that's, I think that we're still in that area of stigmatizing right now. I really hope that we do get to the point that you're talking about where we're just looking at it. I mean, the, it was the D league. It was literally the developmental league like that. And then they got the Gatorade sponsorship. And then they got the Gatorade sponsorship. Yeah. But like, I mean, that's what this was meant to do was to help develop young guys and get them ready for real NBA stuff. And so like, if we get to the point where it's viewed like that and you use it as more of a farm system, like, uh, th that's ideal for the, and I mean, that doesn't hurt revenue. If people start looking at it with like through a better lens, that's just better for the NBA too. And I think it works well for some of these small market teams. I, I can't speak for Utah as well as you can, but certainly for the Blazers, I know this fan base quite well. And this fan base gets very invested in young players, whether oh my they're God. good or not. The jazz fan, the jazz so. fans are like absolutely <laughs> convinced right now that Taylor Hendricks is a bust because they won't play him on the jazz. 
but they also just get so they get so but they get so invested in like they're so yeah i mean like i can't like like i think like people that i've talked to about the rip city remix like people are really excited to go to these games and watch like rayon repair even though like they know he's probably not going to be a good nba player for a couple more years right like be ready but like they're just like oh i want to go watch him with the remix like this is gonna be fun the same thing here because like they're Jazz fans are so, so invested in the draft, in young players, in all of that, that, like, the fact that Taylor Hendricks is not playing, that it's, like, ripping their hearts out right now. Uh-huh. And at the same time, they're, the Jazz got Bryce Sensabaugh. That was the 28th pick in the first round. And they're, like, so, so invested in whether or not he can be something, and which is funny because, you know, bird's eye view, it's like he was the 28th pick, guys. Like, you don't have to think about this guy. <laughs> He might, like, he might, like, he might be, like, when you get outside of the lottery, it's like, okay, like, if you get a guy who ends up being a rotation player with the 28th pick, like, that's a win. That's an absolute win, so, but it's like, you know, no, no one on the Jazz is worried about, like, what happens with Bryce Sensabaugh right now, really. Right. Um, And, but, yeah, everyone is super invested in the, the Salt Lake City Stars games that I've been to. They're well attended. They're fun. Like, people really care. So, it's exactly as you said, like, the small market teams... When when you know that you're a team where you can't get guys, you can't woo them in the free agent market just by saying Blazers or Jazz, you have to be able to develop like develop from within, develop through the draft, or like work through your assets and through trade. Developing young guys becomes really important because those are the assets that you use to trade, or those are the players that you're gonna use long term. Yeah. Well, we went some directions here. We did. We always <laughs> I told- do. I told you, I told you we were going to go like 30 or 45 or over an hour now, but, but I think, I mean, I think it was warranted. I think considering these two teams are both in very interesting spots right now and are, you know, also playing each other like three times in the next three weeks, including again, big stakes for the in-season tournament tomorrow. Uh, The biggest. Everybody, everybody go check out, if you want, you know, a great jazz coverage, go check out Sarah's work on the Deseret News website. Go listen to the Unsalvageables podcast, which is great. And I will see you in about a week and a half when you're up here. uh, Yep. For the other game. But this is, this is going to, this is going to be fun the next, the next couple weeks getting to actually see these teams face off against each other. So uh, thanks for doing this. Yeah, no problem. Anytime, Sean. <laughs>